to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I said, so what, what's my options? And she said, well, you know, you can, you can talk to Centrelink or if you really can't look after them and you really don't think you can afford them, then you'll have to drop them to your local police station or you'll have to drop them to your local child safety office within business hours. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Jess named her episode when she reached out to me in an email. That was the subject line. The overnight parent. And it's true. After Jess found out her mother had committed suicide, she was left to raise her two young siblings. This is a tough one. Content warning. If you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. Jess, your story is so unique. Um, So thank you so much for coming on The Deep and sharing it with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to have a bit of a chat about it and raise some awareness. Can we go back to the 14th of March 2014 and tell me what happened? Yeah, so on that day I had a phone call from... uh, family friend who had told me that she had my brother and sister at her house and that I needed to come and collect them down um, from the Gold Coast. I lived in Brisbane at the time, so I was trying to figure out kind of what she was talking about and what had happened. And um, she didn't obviously want to tell me over the phone. She had said to me, look, um, we can't find your mum. and..." I just need you to come down and, and and just, you know, be with the kids while we, you know, sort this out. And I was thinking, this is so bizarre. What do you mean you can't find her? Like maybe she's gone for a walk or, you know, I don't know. It was so out of out of the blue. And um, she said, no, no, you just need to come down. And I was saying, why? Like what's what's happened? Where is she? And she kept saying, I don't. I don't want to tell you over the phone. And I was like, okay, thinking, what? Don't you don't want to tell me like she's gone for a walk or so she 
I finally got it out of her and she said, I really don't want to tell you this over the phone, but your mum has passed away. And I just couldn't believe it. And I just was thinking, oh my God, like at this point, I'm 23, I'm working, I'm in Brisbane, I can't even like, it's nighttime, I can't even like get down to the Gold Coast, you know, you're kind of like thinking it was like late at night. So all these thoughts are going through your head. And I just called my my boyfriend at the time and just said, we need to, we need to go down the coast. And he was actually working away and he said, I'll be back tomorrow. I'll come down with you, like do what you can, you know, be with, with friends and family tonight and just I'll be there tomorrow. We'll go down, we'll sort this out. So that's, that's the phone call I received and I had to process at like eight o'clock at night. It's so jarring. The whole thing feels very jarring to me that, and also it feels like there's a lot of um, unknowns. There are a lot of missing pieces to the puzzle, right? So what happens when you get to your mum's friend's house and how do you get further information about how she passed? And also, if you're from Brisbane and the children are in the Gold Coast, what are you supposed to do with them on the night? Yeah, so they stayed overnight with this lady and then that whole night, like I just did not sleep. I just could not even process what was going on. So I didn't sleep. I stayed at my dad's house, so I have a different dad to the kids, um, and I stayed at his house, and I just really tried to process it all and go through what was happening. And the next day, the next morning, you know, my partner came to meet me, and my dad and I and my partner, the three of us, went down, and we went to collect the kids. And she hadn't told the kids she physically said she couldn't do it which was understandable like the kids at that stage were eight and ten and I think she Mm. was trying to process it and so we had to tell them the news and it was just awful like really weird twilight zone you never like think your life is at that moment it's like a weird crossover you're like okay like this was my life yesterday and now this is my life today and it just gets turned upside down in such a short time. So are you the one responsible to tell them? Yeah, so we ended up having to tell the kids and they were really trying to process it all. I think because they had lived with her um I'm 23, I live in Brisbane, I'm out of home, like I've got my own life. But they were 8 and 10. They had lived with her, I think they knew in the in a few days leading up, now, now that I've spoken to them about it and the older they got, I think they kind of unfortunately expected it. And that oh, was, wow. yeah, because, you know, she took her life and they were at school and no one like was sort of no one knew so the kids never saw anything but the days leading up they had seen her behavior and so when we told them it was like they knew wow they were they were just prepared in a way 
Yeah, and you could see they were trying to process it, um, but it's such a weird thing because it's all a whirlwind where you just want to do the best thing. So we just really said to them, like, you're trying to just be like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> like you're saying, you know, we'll go, we'll get your stuff, we'll, you know, we'll we'll figure this out, we'll figure it out because they're confused. They're like, well, what does that mean for us? Like, you know, we, mm. we go to school or we, you know, all those things and it's like, it's okay, we'll get stuff like, you know, my younger brother, he was saying, well, what about my um, PlayStation? <laughs> like that's that's the kids processing thing because they're trying to figure out like what's going to become. The new normal, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's so weird. Did you, how do you know that she's taken her life? Does someone go to the home between the this friend having the children and all of this, knowing that she's passed, but how she's passed. How does that all yeah. come to make sense? The police had gone to the house um, to obviously look for her because everything was locked up and the kids hadn't been collected from school. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, the police went to the house, they couldn't get in, everything was sort of shut up. And so her car was there and they then had to, you know, it's getting later and later and later. And they had to then um, get a locksmith and go inside the house. And that's, they did find her inside the house. So that's how I, I actually had a phone call that night on the, um, the it was a Thursday night that they, the police said to me, look, this is what's happened. We know you've heard from um, your mum's friend and, um, but we're, we're just, we're the police telling you that this is what goes forward. They called me that night saying, have you got funeral arrangements um, and what are you going to do? Like, you know, we'll get you to come. If you're going to come down, we'll get you to come to the police station and just check that everything is good. She did leave a note, so we'd like you to make sure that there was nothing suspicious going on, that it is her writing. So you're like, wow. okay, I've just found this out and it's so kind of impersonal. <laughs> They're just like, uh, and I said, well, I don't know what to do about a funeral. Like I don't even know if I can afford that. And they're like, well, you can go to the public trustee and they will um, help you and like they're spitting all these things at you but you're like it's so sudden and you just need a bit of time like the maybe they see it every day but I don't so you're kind of like mm. what do I do? Do you see your mother or you don't you're not a part of that part of the process? No they, she, she was inside the house and the police went there and they took her away and as far as I'm aware they take her to the morgue and then they need a coroner to make sure there's been no suspicious activity. I guess that she hasn't been murdered or something like mm. that. They try and like they, they discover the cause of death. And what was that? So she did um she hung herself. Oh. And so that was something for me that was a really big part because I was thinking, how did it happen? You know, she never drank. She never did drugs. She wasn't, you know, doing any of that stuff. So I was like, well, did she overdose? Like, I don't even know where she, she wouldn't even know mm. where to get any like stuff from. I knew she didn't drink. So when I found that out, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty intense. And the note, did you get to read that? 
Yeah, I got to read the note. It was very, um, from what, from going back to that day, um, you know, it, it does seem very like a scattered day. So that day she had gone, we had found receipts that she'd gone and done grocery shopping that morning. Um, she'd called me at about 11 a.m. and she was asked, she was messaging me about some, um, hotmail accounts. She was starting to shut things down. So she was closing down her hotmail. She was closing down her Facebook, almost trying to like tie up loose ends, I guess. But the sporadic thinking of, okay, going to buy groceries, but then all of a sudden it's almost like she was back and forth. Should I do it? Should I not? Which from what I've learned about mental health and suicide is that it, it's not always a clear path and maybe they think about mm. it one day and then the next day um, they're okay and they could never imagine doing that and then again the following day they want to take their life. So it was very sporadic and all these things that you're trying to piece together like, you know, you even try and kind of your brain is like, maybe she was murdered. <laughs> like, because you're like, why did she go buy groceries at this time? Or <laughs> so you're mm, really, mm. your survival mode tries to kick in to be like, this can't be possible. It really doesn't hit you right away. The note was short and it was similar to her behavior that day. It was sporadic. It was really talking about, she sort of went into about her childhood and how, you know, she'd grown up in a pretty bad childhood, um, pretty abusive, sort of abusive father and, um, you know, her, her mother, I, I don't think her mother was well. And so she she spoke about that in the note and then she just, you know, said that she really did love us kids and to just stay true to who we are. Wow. Is that something that you relayed to your siblings? Yeah, 100%. Did that help you, that note, or did that make for more questions? It it didn't help because it was, it seemed a bit all over the shop, which it helped with sort of comprehending that she wasn't in the right mind. But I think you know, a couple weeks after everything had sort of happened and I took the kids to some counselling sessions, that really helped them to figure out that it's not your fault and it's not, mm. you know, there's massive abandonment questions, especially for children. What, what did I do? Mm. You know, these, these young kids, their fathers aren't in their lives and so they're thinking, why? You know, they, they don't understand. So taking them to see someone and really getting that understanding for them to know that around mental health and the battle that she would have been facing was so much help, so much more helpful than the note. I guess we're all thinking, so you've gotten this call you've been thrown all of this information about making decisions. These kids are kind of up in the air, right? Like who's yeah. going to take the children? Where are they going to go? What happens? Who's responsible? Um, yeah. 
what are the what's the answer to this? Well, I mean, immediately, my thoughts: she, these kids have been abandoned. <laughs> like whether we sugarcoat it or not, their mum has passed away, and now there is no one to care for them. So I spoke to the lady that had taken them into her care and said, "Do you think that maybe you could keep them for, you know, a, a week or a couple of weeks to keep some type of." normality in their life so maybe they can go back to school you're just trying to come up with all these different options and she just said no I I, I can't do that so absolutely fair enough like you've got to ask the question and I just thought well there's nothing here for them they either we went to the police station the police weren't concerned um, the police didn't check anything with me they didn't they said like who are you to the kids and I said I'm their sister and they were like, okay, they didn't even check on the kids to see if the kids wanted to go with me. Like maybe the kids didn't want to, maybe I wasn't their sister, you know. It was all these sort of questions. And um, I just said to my partner, like, we have to take the kids back. Like we've got to organize the funeral. So you're in go mode. And he was like, yeah, 100%. So we take them back to Brisbane and here we go. Like we're on this this journey that's been going for the last sort of six, six, seven years. And it's just crazy. This is what I'm hearing is you've been out of that home for a long time. You are a young adult embarking on your life. Um, I'm, I'm making the assumption that there's, you don't have a, a lot of money because you'd asked about the funeral and expenses, all of a sudden you are now the guardian of two children without really any conversation from anybody. It's just a, an assumption that you're going to take them. Do yeah. they even want to be with you? Like do, where are their, where's their dad? Um, it seems like a lot for a 23-year-old. Yeah, it was just so, so much to handle. But I just remember being at that time in probably a lot of shock. I was so sure that I knew the only other option for them was foster care. I knew that because they had been in foster care before. So they'd probably about three years prior to mum passing away, she had voluntarily asked the Department of Child Safety to take the children because she didn't feel well enough mentally to look after them and so I didn't want them to go back there I knew they didn't like it I knew it was a time that they didn't they weren't fond of and I just thought I couldn't think of anything worse than foster care knocking on our door and being like um these children have to come with us or you know me knocking on foster care's door saying um can you take these kids like I just couldn't think of anything worse than them having to go through that after losing mum and having to dredge Mm. up more traumatic history. So knowing that they were your options, did you, without much hesitation, just go, I will do this without knowing even what was to come? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I just thought I'll do this and I'll figure it out along the way. These kids need someone because. No one else put their hand up. Now, you know, every I understand everyone has their own lives and 
there was probably people that were a little bit um, sort of life smart than me and they're probably thinking, uh, taking on two kids, are you crazy? And at the time I was just like, no, like this has to happen. There's no other way. So no one else was putting their hand up and it was like, well, if everyone can get around us and help, maybe I can do this. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. Give me the day before the call. What did your life look like, you know, in a sentence? Um, going out with friends every weekend, um, you know, being with my partner, living, I lived in a share house, like all girls, just like living my best life, traveling. <laughs> working you know just like I worked full-time and lived for the weekends and was just planning I'd had a trip to America all these sort of plans to really just keep going I really wanted to like start saving for a house deposit and then bang. Do you take the children to the share house? No I took the children to my dad's house so because we would not have fit in the share house. It was, there was, um, uh, there was three of us in the share house. So I took my, uh, the kids to my dad's where we stayed there for about maybe three weeks. And then Dave and I, my partner, we decided to rent a house, um, and start setting up. So we would just go, go, go. We were like rent a house, get the kids enrolled into school, go for it. How does grief play out for you amongst all of this? I didn't have any to start off with. For about three years, I reckon I pushed that bad boy right down. And how did it manifest? Um, Probably through small things, you know, small little things that the kids might do and and probably into resentment at the beginning. I really thought, oh, my gosh, I'm trying to do all this stuff and kids are kids. Like, and, and my brother and sister had been through such a rough sort of short lifespan that they were just really trying to fit in and find their way and they're living with their sister now and I just I had to go see someone mm. how did the ki- did the kids manage their grief i mean losing a mum so young you know i i lost my mum around your age and that was horrific but as a young child how did that manifest and how did that um show itself behavior for sure. So definitely in my um, little brother, his behavior was, you know, just particularly at school. I think he knew that when he came home, he had to behave a certain way. There were certain expectations at home. We don't speak to each other like that. We don't hurt each other. We don't do that at home. But as soon as he got to school and there was different um, figures of authority. He just kind of like played out which ones he could. So I had a, you know, I still worked full time and I was getting a lot of phone calls within the first 
six months of the kids being in my care from the school. You need to come up to the school. This has happened. You need to come up now. This has happened. So I was having to leave work and go up to school a lot. And you mentioned you have different dads. Did you reach out to their dad? Yeah, I, so my younger brother, his dad, um, my mum had actually run away from him. Um, they had, he had domestic violence. They both had orders out against each other. They were really quite toxic together. And mm. I didn't want him to go back with his dad with what had happened. He hadn't seen him since he was three and he was now eight. And I just didn't know what was going to happen. I had received a phone call from child support, letting me know that he was making a child support payment to my mother. And they said, would you like to receive that payment? And I said, no. Um, And I said, if he does want to get in contact, these are my contact details. And I never heard anything. So I assumed that he didn't want the contact and I didn't know how to get in contact with him. So given he had domestic violence orders, I was just a bit sort of concerned. My sister's father, I only know his first name. I don't know his surname and he's not on her birth certificate. So I don't Uh. even know how to get in contact with him. I don't have a surname and this is something that my sister says to me, I don't, you know, I don't really want to know. It's not, but I'd really love to be able to like find that out for her just so she has some type of closure. So you mentioned child support and that's, you know, money, children are expensive. You are a young couple taking on a huge amount of responsibility. What is the government doing to support you? Yeah, so we had we had the funeral and um, I had to get in contact with my mum's side of the family and they helped with the funeral and that was it. And so I was about three or four weeks into it and I just thought, how am I going to afford these kids? I had gone up to the school that I'd enrolled them in and they had basically said to me, you know, if you do need help, um, we can put you on a payment plan or, um, you know, we can see what we can do. So I was really kind of like a bit of a deer in the headlights because I thought, well, okay, like a payment plan, like, well, how much are these school fees? And then it was just a public school, but there were school fees. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll pay like $100 here. And I called the Department of Child Safety, I found out that from the government, I would be assessed as a parent. So I was entitled to a family tax A and tax B, depending on um, our joint income. So like a just a regular parent. And I kept saying to the Centrelink lady, well, what about like carers? Or would I be like a foster carer or a kinship carer? And she said, no, 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 you're not, you're not one of those. Um, you'd just be assessed like a, a normal parent. And I was thinking, what? I'm not a normal parent. I got them overnight. Like I didn't even get time to know yeah. that this was going to happen. And so what? They they Because I believe that a kinship carer was next of kin taking over the care, which would be you. But why, yeah. do you, why, are, you a par- why are you a parent if you're not a parent? 
Yeah, so they said to me that because I had collected the kids straight away, um, I was now there, they, they weren't in any danger. I wasn't their guardian, but I was their carer. So I spoke, I, I'd finished with Centrelink because I'd been jumping through hoops with them and they'd said to me, you're a parent, that's what you get assessed at. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go and speak to the Department of Child Safety because surely they would be the ones to recognise me as a kin carer and they may help me out with like the school fees or any like clothes that the kids would need. So I spoke to the Department of Child Safety and they said, um, so what's happened? Have the kids, where are the kids' parents? And I said, well, our mum's our deceased and I don't know where their dads are, so I'm solely responsible for them. And she said, well, then they haven't been abandoned. And I said, no, but they kind of have been ab abandoned because they're with me and our mother passed away. So I kind of see that as abandonment. And she said, well, do you think they're in any danger? And I said, no, they're not in danger. Like they're at my house. They're all, like they're going to school. They're enrolled. And she was like, well, I don't see the problem. And I was thinking, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, what can I do? I said, so what, what's my options? And she said, well, you know, you can, you can talk to Centrelink or if you really can't look after them and you really don't think you can afford them, then you'll have to drop them to your local police station or you'll have to drop them to your local child safety office within business hours. I Like my head's going to explode. So <laughs> they're, go, they're willing to pay strangers yeah. to foster your children, not your yes. children, your siblings, yeah. but they won't give you any funding to do the job, to take the task. Not in very black and white terms. Yeah. And I started thinking to myself, okay, well, maybe maybe I do take them down and then, like, what happens? Like, how traumatic. And I'm thinking, like, you're running through all these scenarios and I'm thinking, oh, my God, the kids would flip out if I drove them down there and just, like, drove off. Like, what impact is this going to have? But I really need to get them help and I, I need to get myself help. So I'm running through and I'm really sitting with it and thinking about it. And I just thought, I can't do that. I physically cannot take them. Because I even thought about having the conversation with the kids and being like, okay, guys, this is the plan. This is like to not freak them out. But I was like, I can't, I can't even do that. I, it just feels too cruel. So tell me how it is then for you. You settle into this new way of life. You've Friends are still traveling to the States and going to parties and getting pissed and, you know, that all continues and you are now um, in a whole new world managing finances and making food stretch and doing all yeah. of that. What does, uh, this was six years ago, how does, how does life look for you over the next couple of years? It felt very lonely. I mean, you can see when you ask for help, you don't want to ask for help. You really want to do everything you can. And when you ask for help and you get turned down, that's really lonely. And you're really trying to fight a system that does not want a bar of you when you really, really think that they need to be involved. I was really saying to the Department of Child Safety, I really think you need to be involved for the kids, for them to be able to have everything like 
access to all the psychology appointments and all that type of stuff. And so the next sort of few years, we really had to decide, are we going to waste our energy on fighting all of this or are we going to just get on with it? And I think we just decided to get on with it and every now and then something, you know, you would try, you would speak to a non-government organisation and they would intervene for six months. They would help with the kids, you know, taking them to a counselling session. But then after six months, they would close the case and they would say, oh, no, everything seems fine. And you were just thinking, I just want someone in my corner. Like I want someone to be there like 100% because you feel like you're a kid as well. Well, you kind of are, you know. You're one of the kids. It's just you're the one that has to bear the brunt. So I can understand there's a lot of resentment. Like I can feel how hard that would be and there would be a lot of anger does that are you still with the same partner yeah yep so my partner and I um are still we're married now and we got married last year so we are it's made us stronger like he is just he had no issues at all with with this he was like this is what we had to do and there were times where the kids would just play up or you know I remember one Christmas we'd got um my younger brother he'd he'd written a list and we went and got everything he'd asked for and then Christmas came he opened it all and like something broke he'd he'd broken something he said oh this is all just such a waste of money and like you know like really ungrateful and you know I just went into the bedroom and said to my partner like I can't do this anymore and he's like no no we have to keep like you know he was always every time I just wanted to say I'm done he was like, no, nah, we can't be done. Like we have to keep going. Like we owe it to these kids because, you know, if if we don't do it, who will? What a man, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what, what a blessing to have him in your corner when you needed yeah. some strength. Huge support. That would be super intimidating for I'm, I'm, he'd be your age, right, when you took these yeah. children on. Yep, same age. Yep. Huge, huge responsibility for him to carry. And you know the thing with children is they don't understand the impact or responsibility this had on you until they're parents, you know. Then they're, they're not yeah. going to feel it. But how how has your relationship with them, because were you close to them when I didn't, you took I, over? Yeah, I actually didn't even know them I didn't even know what they ate for breakfast like you know within a few days I was like what do you guys eat like what do kids eat these days I don't know and they're just kind of like sitting at the kitchen bench looking at me like are you gonna like make us breakfast and I was like don't you guys like get your own breakfast you're kind of old enough like I was so confused because I was just thinking I I guess you can't feed them sugar so I was like do you guys eat wheat bigs like no we don't eat wheat bigs what do you eat? Fruit Loops. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't even want to buy that. So you like, you're immediately like in a bit of a, like, internally, you're like, oh gosh, can I feed them that much sugar? So I didn't even. I had to really get to know them from the beginning because I'd been out of home for, you know, at least six years. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So how is it with them now? How are you guys? Are they still with you? Yeah, so my um, sister, she's 17 now. Our relationship is so beautiful. She, it's been a rough ride. She was 10 and then she sort of went to the, through the teenage years and like that is rough teenage years. Um, so we were really trying to come at that with, again, love, compassion. Like, you know, you're kind of like going through all this stuff, like, just have love, but you've got to be a bit of a monk to not like flip out. And then now, you know, my brother, he's no longer with me. He actually lives back with his dad. So he made that decision at the end of last year to, um, you know, he was at boarding school. So in, he, he ended up going to boarding school because I just didn't know what else I was going to do. Um, and so I went with one of my aunties and she helped me get him on a scholarship at boarding school and he didn't like it at boarding school and he said he didn't want to come home to us. He wanted to go and be with his dad. And so he's actually reunited with his dad and he's happier than ever. So did he make that choice because you hadn't had contact with him, had you? How did he come back into the picture just by his request? Yeah, so he had um, spoken to the school, the boarding school he was at had has a beautiful um, guidance counsellor there and she really sort of worked with him and, and helped him and he ended up back into care. So Department of Child Safety stepped in. Um, which was very ironic. So he had said to the school, I do not want to go back to Jess's house. And the school said, okay, well, what can we do? And he said, well, I'm not going there. So the school had to call Department of Child Safety and say, we've got this child who is um, not going home. And Department of Child Safety then came to me and they said to me, we've got your brother and we'd like to recognize you as a kinship carer if you'll have him at your house and I said to them I've been asking you guys to recognize me for the last six years what why are you just telling me that what's changed oh well you know our goal is to just keep kids out of the system and keep them with their families and I'm thinking like what is going on? And I just said, I if he wants to come to back to our home, he can come home. But if he doesn't, I can't force him. So he ended up going to a group home. So I just kept trying to piece the puzzle together to work out what is the go? Why don't they want to assess me as a carer? Like what's yeah? Okay, it's probably saving them a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, like I'd be a drop in the ocean. He has decided to go into the group home and then he reaches out to his father or they reach out to his father because they, the disconnect yeah. between you and him. So he has decided to go into the group home. They've tried to place him back with me. I've said, look, if he wants to, that it is up to him. 
um, at this stage. He's 14, so he's he can really make his own decisions in terms of what he wants. So he said, nope, I'm happy to go into the group home. I'll give it a go. I'll make my own decision. He went into the group home, you know, for a couple of months. He said he loved it. Um, he said he was like the only one there and there was no nothing of what they were talking about. And they made the connection with his father. They tracked his father down. His father called me one day um, and said to me, I've just had, I answered the phone and I didn't know who it was. And then I, he told me, you know, it's my brother's father. And I was like, okay. And then he said, what, what has your mum done? What has your mum done now? He didn't even know. He didn't even know. And I said, she's dead. And he broke down. He couldn't even believe it. He, so child support had not even told him, even though they told me that they had. What? Yeah, like just a complete disconnect. Child support called me a month after mum had passed away to ask if I would like the payment and then they told yes. me they would speak with him. So, oh like just so gosh. many balls have been dropped. And does he agree? I mean, I mean, his son, he hasn't seen his son since he's three and now he's how old? Fourteen. Yeah, they had told me when when they had asked me about him, I just said, look, I don't know what he's doing now. All I know is that there's not a very good history between him and my mum. I don't know whether he's the same person, um, but, you know, you guys really need to think about whether you reach out to him or what what happens there. And they just, re- it, it happened within a week. Um, so Jai had been in uh, the in the home for a couple of months and then um, there was just one week where they had his dad come and collect him from boarding school and now he lives down with him in New South Wales. And he's happy. And he's really happy and he gets the love that, you know, the, the fatherly love he gets from him. He's said that, you know, that's just, that that's irreplaceable. Wow. Did you, did you feel like... Him not wanting to be with you, did you take that personally? Yeah, 100%. I felt all the grief. It's like I had had done so much for him and I just genuinely wanted the best for him and I just felt grief like for a good few months you're being left like by someone that's saying they don't want to be around you and it was just such a weird almost like empty nester feeling like children are leaving the home but it's a weird situation and I just grieved for for days. I think the selfish part of me as well would be like everything I did, everything I did and it's not good enough. It just was never going to be good enough because I could never have given him that real, true parent, like, you know, what that parent love is. I could never have been that for him. And I accept that. It just doesn't make it any easier. It's almost like you 
are a reminder of what he doesn't have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's really tough for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. And I, I think he's in a, in a place now where he's happy and that's we're happy as well because, you know, he was really behavioural-wise, he was very challenging to to try and help or to raise and, you know, you've got all this resentment and you're trying to do things and kids feel stuff. Of course they do. As much as you try and conceal it and you don't want them to know all the lengths you're going to, like he will, he will probably never know all the things I did to try and get him the best chance, maybe, maybe later, but it's just one of those things that you go, oh, I did so much on that and maybe I could have, it could have been different. So you now have a 17-year-old living with you? Yeah. How is it? Are you ready for her to move out in the next couple years or do you think she's going to stay for a while? Yeah, it's, um, again, like you go through the motions of that, oh, I kind of don't want you to leave because you've been here. <laughs> like, like this is our family now and she's just such – a pleasure to be around and I see so much growth like it's really it's been so challenging but so rewarding when you raise kids even though she's not my child but she's gone through so many hard times and to come out the other end how she has is just so rewarding and knowing that we've got such a good relationship but you know I've gone through internal struggles of my values and what I value and how, what I would allow with discipline if it was my child. But I've got to remember she's not my child and you're just trying to navigate the best way you can. And after all of this, do you want children? Oh, I really don't know. Maybe. Oh, we're just so enjoying being together as a couple and not having responsibility and not having to ask someone like, oh, do you think maybe in like three weeks time um, you could watch the kids? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> scheduling all that stuff is really hard work and I just, we're enjoying being alone. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You're incredible. Your story is so incredible and I just don't know if half the people even listening, including myself, could have taken on that huge, huge amount, you know, and I don't mean that in disrespect to the children. I just mean losing a parent and having to take on such a huge responsibility. I'm not sure, you know, how many people could face up to that. So that is truly incredible. Yeah, thank you. And I think you just, you know, everyone sort of handles it their own way and at the end of the day, would I change it? No. I mean, my mum was really suffering with mental health and I wish that she could have been helped. Um, but at the end of the day, she is in peace and all we can do is really sort of break the chain and just heal ourselves and, you know, keep moving through. Our final question. Who are you when no one's watching? I am very relaxed at home with a wine 
and just binging some like nasty reality TV. <laughs> just not using Heaven. my brain. <laughs> yes. Not having to think. <laughs> absolute heaven thank you so much thank you i hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the deep if it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests please hit us up by direct message on instagram at what's the deep Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes, and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.